This podcast is brought to you by All Things Film. <coughs> no, it, it really is. All Things Film, the web's premier collection of independent movie and TV related podcasts. For more, check out www.allthingsfilm.co.uk or search All Things Film on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. And now, on with the show. Listen to me, traitor. I believe that you've received the death message from our ninja empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double-crossed it. Why did you do that? I have to reform the ninja empire. That is why I took away it. That is why I took away it. The golden ninja warrior. The golden ninja warrior. You've got three days in which to return the golden ninja warrior. Right? Or else you die. What, 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 what is that? Or else you die. Go, go, go to hell. Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 6 on Shadow Killers, Tiger Force and Robo Vampire. And as mentioned during episode 5, we had a run of opening episodes where it was all about introducing you listeners to the world of 5D, Godfrey Ho, the technique of cut and paste, how Richard Harrison once was exploited, and the joy me and Ed find in this type of cinema. And now that that run is concluded, we can let our hair down a little and pick some fun movies, some more random uh, titles. So this show might not be like a random pick or anything, but it represents, uh, when all is said and done, a hop or skip over to Filmark, who are actually located in the same building as IFD at one point. I've seen the business cards of Joseph Lai and the business card of Thomas Tang, and uh, they're just a few numbers apart. They're in the same uh, building. And uh, Thomas Tang was the man behind Filmark, and his brand of uh, ninja cut-and-paste actioners uh, is what we are going to look at, as well as the genre he picked once market potential was over for ninjas. Joseph Lai went sort of the kickboxing route and modern action thriller route with American Commando and War City and the kickboxing movies. But Thomas Tang did something else that I'll explain in a little bit. So what we are going to take a look at first is 1986's Shadow Killers Tiger Force, where colorful ninjas are paired up with a late 70s women in prison movie or women in labor camp movie i suppose and uh, that's uh, that's a contrast and a half that and in the second half of this show the example in my mind anyway to talk of in terms of thomas tang ejecting ninjas in favor of something else the market might like that the example is the one and only robo vampire which features the crappiest but most delightful robocop rip-off plot and costume you you can think of, paired up with just a little bit of a Thai action movie starring, surprise, surprise, Sora Pong Chatri. By little, I mean Robo Vampire is a party movie. And by that, I mean most of the footage you see in Robo Vampire was done, is done by Filmark themselves. Not just 10 minutes of hopping vampire and some stuff with the Robo Warrior. Nope. Tons of minutes. So, that's why it's a party movie. That's why it needs to be highlighted in terms of the Filmark catalog. And that's what we're going to do. And my name is Kenny B. And with me again for the first show of 2015 is filmmaker and head honcho over at Neon Harbor, Ed Glazer. So happy new year and welcome back, Ed. Happy new year. And it's always a pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, it was fun. It's a fun, good run there to conclude the year. Like these five episodes have all worked out really well. And uh, uh, I was proud of them in terms of 
I think I did all right personally, but uh, it was a blessing to be paired up with you and kind of bounce back and forth with you and to see it kind of pan out the way I saw it in my head. Like I thought it was a pretty decent overview of what this madness is and it's only a scraping on scraping on the surface kind of overview so there's plenty left as well uh, so thank you very much for that and uh, good that you have the ability to hop on like uh, once every four to six weeks or whatever so because um, a we- weekly show we we can't do based on the fact that it's too much for me and i do all sorts of other podcasts and you are certainly busy as well so this works out absolutely and, and we had some kind words sent uh, our way as well, which I, I got to tell you, that the, yeah, we, we're not a big network and we certainly don't get tons of feedback and comments and what have you. But the most like uh, meatiest comments in terms of people write the most to us about these kind of niche shows, including this one, because I think there might not be a lot of fans of the IFD and Filmox style, but the ones that know the deal, you know, know, know who Godfrey Ho is and have fun with this, they have plenty to say. I kind of, I think that makes sense. You know, they're, they're kind of passionate about it. And when, when they hear someone else being as passionate, they kind of just come out of the woodwork, even if it's only one of them, and share a lot and passionately so. And that makes it all worth it for me. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the thing about these films is that they either click with you or they don't. And so you either you either don't get it and have no idea like what's like what this is all about and why anybody in their right mind would ever watch this. Or it's one of the greatest things ever. And uh, you have to know more about it and you want to talk about it and you want to show it to your friends. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if, in fact, in your neck of the woods, these these were given a theatrical show him because you, you've seen the trailers you know coming to a screen near you but normally in your neck of the woods i think it was all like bargain bin vhs boxes and later dvds but no it wouldn't right. have it wouldn't have been wonderful to have the theatrical robo vampire experience oh yeah <laughs> i mean it's one of a kind i i just can't figure out like how that experience would be because it i think filmox seems so small screenish you know what I mean? But, but they weren't. I mean, they were out there. They were out there on the big screens. We know that. But it, it seems so small screenish, despite. Yeah, if they were, if they were a couple of decades earlier, um, they might have played the drive-in circuit or something like that. But not mid uh, VHS era, obviously. Then coming to a screen near you meant obviously at best, right? Uh, the small screen. Do you remember seeing? Uh, we, we'll, we'll talk about Robo Vampire, obviously, and the contact information. But do you remember seeing uh, like Robo Vampire? way back in the day or this is a sort of a new new discovery for you um i think the first time i saw it was about uh, maybe four years ago something like that that's just a guesstimate yeah so it's uh yeah and uh it's been in circulation that long so uh uh but uh, it's uh hopefully hopefully it's beloved out there it's certainly beloved by me i can say that already and i think you kind of dig it as well Yes. All righty. Let's uh, get into it. But first of all, some brief contact information. This is the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire Network. You will find us on podcastonfire.com. Check out the show, all the other shows, as well as bonus episodes. And uh, maybe in the future, me and Ed do a bonus episode if we feel there's some extra content there to uh, connect to the main episode. Uh, we have an email address if you have any feedback or, or uh, questions. So podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We are present on uh, Facebook, uh, like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. And we have our discussion group connected to that that you can reach via the link on the page or type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box. And the follow our tweets and tweet us at Podcast on Fire, twitter.com at uh, slash Podcast on Fire. I write about these kind of movies. 
ninja exploitation film archetype as well as Taiwanese black movies so to say a genre cinema of the 70s and 80s mainly over at sogoodreviews.com and I squeeze in some some uh, raunchy Hong Kong adult movies every now and again as well and I do spoken video reviews small bite sized reviews over at sleazykvideo.com as well as tweet at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews and uh, the Golden Ninja podcast is available on iTunes if you prefer to have your podcasts uh, available to you and delivered that way. And uh, rate and subscribe if you have any comments. And uh, rate and subscribe if you want to leave uh, one of those quick ratings of the show. But if you have it in you, like a sentence or two, then please write a comment. That will act perfectly fine as a review and certainly help us to get some more exposure. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, or almost finally, on my end, Stitcher Radio is the place to stream our shows uh, on the website as well as the application available to your iPhone and iPad. And I think there's an Android app as well. And once you're in Stitcher, type in the Golden Ninja podcast to find us. Finally, on my end, and a bit of a meteor plug for Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, which is the blog that our, our good friend Jesus Perez Molina maintains and writes about various IFD and film releases in Spain, but also, more importantly, the movies behind the Cut and Paste movies and getting them some exposure and finally a name. So uh, we know, for instance, like the movie or movies behind Shadow Killer's Tiger Force, uh, thanks to re- the kind of research that uh, Jesus does. So it's tireless research about IFD and film and, um, and, and its players. Uh, and we, we certainly show gratitude for the blog, but now we got to show gratitude towards the fact that Jesus has taken a step up in terms of his appreciation and uh, dedication to all of this. He's written a book about the very subject that we're talking about, called, named after, I think, and here's where I make an ass of myself, a film arc movie, <laughs> a golden ninja invasion. Do you know that offhand, Ed, if, that, if that's IFD or film arc? I know it's Stuart Smith. I believe, yeah, I believe it's a film arc. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna... to put my chips there yeah because this golden ninja might be ifd but hey that might be a curveball too <laughs> so uh, i haven't seen it so uh, there we go but the subtitle is possibly something like the secrets of ifd and film and i say secrets because at the time this book is in spanish language only but it's such a fantastic time to be a fan of all of this to live in this time you know, adoring, if you will, in your own way, IFD and Filmark, because the misinfo is slowly being stomped out in favor of correct info. You know, the biggest misinfo being that Godfrey Ho did Robo Vampire, Godfrey Ho did Shadow Killer's Tiger Force. It says so on the internet. But finally, you know, people are waking up a little bit, and uh, m- much thanks, uh, much due to rather, to work like Jesus does. And uh, all we can do is sort of. Um, you know, do our best to honor and further work like that and providing our own takes and voice on the subject, obviously. So uh, uh, it's, um, I'm not sure of the release date for his book, but his book, but uh, good on it for uh, going all the way, so to say. He had it in him and it could be a book as well. Uh, you know what I mean? That he, he didn't run out of subject and uh, direction. So it's super admirable and hopefully one day either you and I will learn Spanish or an English edition will come out uh, someday. But uh, hey, for, for now, it's, uh, it's where it is. So finally, on your uh, end, Ed, you have your uh, home away from home, so to say, Neon Harbor. And I think we might have spoken briefly about your uh, web web series, Deja View. But for, for uh, listeners that aren't aware of Deja View, could you just summarize really quickly 
what that is about. What's the direction of Deja View? Sure. Um, at my website, uh, neonharbor.com, I produce uh, a number of uh, films and web series, um, mostly fiction, uh, narrative fiction, but one of which is nonfiction, Deja View, which is uh, sort of a short-form documentary series that showcases foreign remakes of popular American films. Usually. Occasionally, I break the rules. Yeah, yeah, you, you had that bizarre Godzilla, Italian Godzilla re-release kind of thing. Which I kind of I kind of track back to some of its American origins a little bit, but but mostly I'm breaking the rules. Um, but uh, you know, movies like Turkish Batman um, and Superman, uh, Italian version of Star Wars, a Korean version of Tron, which was animated and later released by our good friends at IFD, uh, Italian Jaws, and then I've I've got a uh, a batch of a uh, group of five that are going to be coming out in the not too distant future. Um, featuring Turkish versions of Dracula, The Godfather, and Flash Gordon, in addition to a Bollywood Evil Dead. Oh, that sounds awfully sweet and hopefully not horrific. It sounds like the most perfect thing ever. Oh, yes, absolutely. And one that you're very familiar with, um, a Taiwanese version of Ms. 45 called Girl with a Gun, which was later released by IFD and then re-released uh, as a cut-and-paste uh, action movie. Fury in Red led to a crackdown mission. Uh, yes. That idea. That's, a, that's good economics, man. Like using what you already have to create something new, even though it's a transparent technique as well. But hey, oh, yes. I, I applaud them for like, hey, we can't, we don't need to spend money, as much money. Get Pierre, get Pierre Kirby and let's shoot some, shoot some Satan worshipping uh, nonsense. That'll be good. Exactly. So, so yes, uh, so it's uh, a matter of highlighting, highlighting those movies and uh, talking a little bit about the context in which they were produced. Excellent. I, I enjoyed the show. And uh, as I said off air, for like a short documentary form and style, you cram, cram in and you should take note of this, listeners, a lot of, you know, meaty research that really puts things in perspective. And when you achieve that balance of... Uh, Having a little bit, bit of fun with, the, you know, pre- presenting a lively show mixed with concrete, you know, solid research, then uh, you got a balance going there that's uh, very good for you. And uh, congratulations. I mean, you picked up one or two awards for the show as well. So it's, uh, you're, you're doing something good here. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, all right. We are done for now. And the only thing between now and uh, then is a small musical break with some probably stolen music or library music from Shadow Killers Tiger Force from 1986. It's a ninja movie. No ninja in the title. But hey, that's a uh, um, sort of great, great magical combination of words, at least. And you'll find out after a break what we all thought of this uh, film adventure. So sit tight and we'll be back. So welcome back and the first movie up for review for this episode is Shadow Killers Tiger Force from 1986. Sometimes the dates are a little bit like, well, it might be 86, 88 or even 87. Filmark had the um, have a ill habit of not printing um, the copyright year on their 
movies. It was always all rights reserved, but no no year on these movies. So, uh, but but hey, it's not the most important thing to put things into perspective. So, 1986 might not be confirmed, but anyway, plot and some source movie background, which is from my review of the film. Shooting new footage and combining it with the 1976 South Korean-Taiwan co-production Girls in the Tiger Cage. And it's directed by legendary Korean director Shin Sang-ok, who among other things directed the black and white classic Flower in Hell. And later when he was in the clutches of uh, Kim Jong-il, the story is that he was kidnapped. The story also goes that he might have defected along with his wife. Might have. I doubt doubt it, but... I suppose it's possible. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I lean more towards probably kidnap, but uh, there are some alternate uh, voices out there on that story. My my understanding is that the North Korean party line is that they defected. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it might be that. It, it might be coming from them. Not no. We toads, toads did not kidnap him. He came to us. We promise. He wanted to make movies for us, and that he he did. He produced a number of directed a number of movies for Uber film fan Kim Jong Il. The, what happened under the, in, in the clutches of Kim Jong-il, among other things, the Korean monster movie Pulgasari came out, which uh, we should be sort of thankful for because Pulgasari is pretty damn fun. It's a propaganda piece, definitely. Like, if you read between the lines, it's uh, it's about the Korean people, but it's also kind of a kick-ass monster movie that actually had some Japanese tech talent on it, and that was co-directed by Shin Sang-ok. It is. It's a very. It's a spectacular film in the original sense of the word. Yeah. So that was uh, that, that was uh, Shin, but uh, he also had some, um, you know, time to spend in uh, both uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan. He did at least one movie for Hong Kong Shaw Brothers, and here we go with a uh, South Korean Taiwan co-production, a woman in prison movie. Uh, so back to Shadow Killers Tiger Force. It features a lady ninja Judy, which is played by Cora Bentley, and we'll actually give you her real name in a little bit. Uh, she's on assignment to free Sylvia, which is possibly Karen Yip from the original movie. She is in a prison slave labor camp uh, that, and being sort of, I don't don't know why she's working there before she's being shipped out to the Middle East. But that's in her future, to be shipped out as a slave to the Middle East. And with no foe to actually meet and interact with in the, ni- in the 1976 movie for Judy the Ninja, in comes Wayne Archer as a ninja and head of the Human Slaves Operation. Don't think Wayne is credited under his real name, but you might m- remember Wayne as the lead in Kickbox of a Champion. Uh, and he's been in a couple of these kickboxing uh, IFD uh, movies in the background and what have you. Oh, yes. And uh, I checked in with, uh, and he's a, he's a great uh, action performer on screen. I, was, I remember that was one of the sole shining uh, like um, good things about Kickbox of a Champion, that Wayne is really as like a Hong Kong style down. He can uh, interact very well with uh, Hong Kong stuntmen and keep up. So uh, good on Wayne for that. Here in this movie, um, not so much that's not required of him, but some other crazy things is required of him. Uh, required of him, and we'll get to that. And again, I checked in with the mentioned Jesus Perez Molina to see if he knew anything of lead Cora Bentley, and she isn't this myth without any info attached to her name like she she's not like on the pierre kirby scale of myth you know what i mean like we we know who she is her real name is deborah grant and she was the girlfriend of lewis roth at one point and that is he's familiar to hong kong movie fans he's in better tomorrow too he's the italian mobster in the new york set 
a portion of a better tomorrow too that proclaims this fucking fried rice stinks and then has a wonderful scene with chai and fat in english which uh, is just wonderful but for the purpose of referencing where he appeared elsewhere uh, in in a ninja movie he was the master in ninja commandments telling us periodically what those ninja commandments uh, were so you you get these uh, on-screen readings by lewis roth of uh, what you should and what should you should not do as a ninja to be a proper ninja uh, Deborah, uh, going back to her, she appeared in a, Hong- a few Hong Kong movies as well, including Curry and Pepper, this Lethal Weapon-style uh, uh, comedy with Stephen Chow. And uh, she co-wrote Undeclared War for City on Fire director Ringo Lam. And Undeclared War was a bigger, more internationally-flavored production from Ringo, starring Danny Lee, Olivia Hussey, and Vernon G. Wells, the villain Bennett from Commando, uh, sporting a full-on blonde, uh, bleach blonde job in Undeclared War. I, I, I like how you can't even say uh, Bennett without doing sort of the Arnold voice. It's, it's subconsciously, man. I wasn't even trying. <laughs> Let off some steam, Bennett. And, and that's not even good. <laughs> for some more info on Thomas Tang and Philmark, by the way, we are saving that for the second half of... Uh, of the show to even out the information dump a little bit. Uh, but a brief tri- uh, tidbit uh, I have on credited director Tommy Chang. He was a working actor and action director and director in Hong Kong cinema, not just with Filmark. The thing is, and you probably noticed too, Ed, he is credited, yeah, but sometimes I don't trust that the people that were credited that we know existed actually worked on the movie in question because they had sort of the names there so they just threw out names kind of randomly who did what on each movie i just have a feeling that tommy chang might have and also might have not uh, done the uh, film portions of shadow killers tiger Force. heck he might have even worked on robo vampire we, we don't know who joe livingstone is <laughs> you know what i mean so uh, he, he was certainly around uh, tommy and uh, he's recognizable because he, at some point for quite a long time he had these uh, quite pronounced sideburns and not just when he did work in the 70s and uh, he was the director of the actual full film arc production Satanic Crystals staring a long guy um, otherwise known as B.A.D. in the fan community. Do you remember seeing Satanic Crystals or knowing of it at all? I don't know that one actually and now I need to see it because as you just said it's a full production which sounds great to me. It is. I mean it looks like a proper Hong Kong movie. It's got a proper Hong Kong cast and uh, it's not this uh, up in the air it might have been cut and paste. Nope. It's an actual production. One of a few that Thomas Tang did at this time, you know, mid uh, mid all this uh, cut and paste shenanigans that we're thankful for, or possibly not, because that leads into what we think of the movies and the movie. And uh, from my point of view, I mean, admittedly, I, for Shadow Killers Tiger Force, I was a bit more warm towards it post first viewing a few months ago because I dug this mix of new and very much older. Uh, but it's it, to be fair, it's stale most of the times. But when the ninja scenes are integrated into the movie, that's very fun. But the WIP experience, the woman in prison experience, is is very minor. It's a kind of stale. But what Filmark does, what an IFD rarely or never did, is that they shot a lot of action for their finale. We're going to talk about epic for them action finale, even though Filmark are not really capable of shooting <laughs> actual long action finale. But... They did it. So there you go. That was my summary short opinion. What did you think of Shadow Killers, Tiger Force? I really enjoyed it, actually. And I I didn't have a, as much of a problem with the women in prison uh, segments, perhaps because I haven't 
watched a lot of women in prison movies, so the the staleness was was still kind of fresh for me. So I, I found it compelling. Um, I was I was invested just enough in the main character that I was rooting for all of the escape attempts and a, a little bit closer to the edge of my seat uh, as things kind of heated up. I really like the way that Filmark um, more than uh, IFD creates a lot of little little teeny sequences that integrate with the original film so that there's a lot more interaction. Filmark does a lot of uh, what I just call looking inserts. <laughs> yes. Ninjas behind cars and corners that's, and crap. <laughs> that's precisely right. You, you just cut to like a bush and a ninja peeks out and is watching whatever is going on, which <laughs> I, I think I'm like, all right, sure. You know, I mean, it, it just gives you a little sense of their presence, uh, which is cool. But this one goes quite a bit further and, um, uh, I love the fact that the unlike IFD, the ninja stuff isn't happening in a parallel plot. Um, the lady ninja has ensconced herself into the women's prison camp. Uh, they give her and uh, and her other extras prison uniforms that are close enough to the ones in the original film. They do some bits to make it look like she's the lady ninja is helping out Sylvia, and uh, and that's terrific. All that's terrific. I think you know they really went for it. You have watched a fair amount of Filmark movies, and this kind of represents one that, you know, focused on integrating uh, a lot, you know, integrating a lot more, more convincingly even. Uh, because the example you just mentioned, like with the Thundering Ninja and stuff like that, you know, the great Stuart Smith movie mixed with the old Jimmy Wang Yu movie. I mean, they're doing precisely that. They're just looking in, uh, you know, there's a fight in a car, uh, car park, they're hiding behind the cars, and then they leave. Uh, but that, so that, that's the simple way out for Filmog. Here they need to uh, do some even production design, and uh, we, we'll, we will get to that. They they have to match stuff here. It starts out with a it's a wonderful day out. You know, it's summer barbecue, but then stuff happens. You know, <laughs> you know, then ninjas break up the fun by in daylight in various ways kidnapping uh, various um, Chinese uh, women. And here, here's the first plus point. What, and why I think certain IFD and Filmock movies work very well, they mix the cast. You have the Westerners, but you have at least background Chinese cast there. So it's not just this sort of, say, sterile, here's the Westerners only, and here's all the Chinese or Korean or Thai in the old movie. Here they kind of mix, so it can look for a while a bit convincing. Oh, yeah, no, it, it sort of, it kind of subverted my attempts to uh, figure out when the original movie begins and where the uh, the new stuff ends, and I appreciated that very much. So, and uh, there's some um, what was it? I've written mini torpedo smoke screen. What was that? The way they distract? Oh my gosh! Yes, they uh, they shoot a a toy. The ninjas fire a toy torpedo yes. at a boat that a couple of uh, campers are out rowing in. Uh, and to blow it up and steal the lady that's in it. It's more, they, they don't blow it up. It's like a purple and red smoke screen. And oh, they, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it created a purple explosion. Yeah. In in daylight, I mean, they're, they're so effing confident that we, we got this. You know, we, we're going to run out there in our black ninja suits and um, and just uh, steal women left and right for the prison in uh, the, the labor camp. And uh, steal them and stuff them in a van, the ninja van. <laughs> it's just a van. I, I always wonder, like, in these fights, you know, ninja fights, they can teleport like you read about, but they still need to drive to wherever they need to be. Mm-hmm. Mm, I was that ninja much. Man. 
Ninja van, indeed. Ow! You're hurting me. Well, one thing to to note, even though it's not a, it won't blow up, <laughs> blow blow your mind or anything. Filmark um, neglected or chose not to feature ninjas wearing ninja headbands. That was. Uh, Thomas Tank's a big choice, I suppose. <laughs> that's And that's one of the ways that you can tell them apart. I think the one thing that I do see from time to time, as is in this, sometimes they'll have headbands that have a throwing star on them or something, like some kind of silver star. Or an upside-down Mitsubishi logo. Yes, that too. I'm still a bit worried. What happens if that doesn't work? Who dare do that? We'll terminate them. That's the only way. Right. It's the only way out. They did something, you know, but provided some alternates. Speaking of action, one performer here that actually appears in a fair amount of film movies is actor Sun Chen, who has a fight with a ninja on top of some, like, poles in the park. And uh, Sun Chen, I mean, he's a famous sort of of face. I mean, he was one of the five Venoms, or five deadly Venoms. He played the Scorpion back in the Shaw Brothers days. And he was obviously a working actor, so this is not beneath him or anything, but having him there makes sure there's a fair snap to the action, even though these action scenes and this one in particular in the beginning, it doesn't last very long, because I always had a feeling that Filmark never really scheduled a lot of time to shoot extensive action until maybe their ending but uh, certainly not extensive martial arts action but what what is here is pretty solid uh, and uh, Sun Chen might have worked on behind the scenes as well that, that I can't confirm but I certainly would not be it wouldn't be a shock or anything if he uh, uh, lent a hand you know uh, again a working behind the scenes uh, guy and, and an actor so uh, what is it well you have a female ninja here which is good, because it's such a sausage fest, normally, this. You know, occasionally you have a ninja, uh, a female ninja. But here, we have a lead here. And it's great, you know, they only sexualize her a little bit. Because when she's fighting in her ninja uh, outfit, it's kind of, it's kind, you kind of can see her, like, cleavage in her boobs a little bit. So th- that's like, they sexualize her a little bit. But overall, I mean, it's not revolution or anything, but I appreciate that she was given a whole movie. And uh, to be active in the various scenes versus the old movie as well, and kind of be playful and do, do some light stuff as well. They gave Deborah Grant or Cora Bentley something to do here. You know what I mean? That's, uh, so, what did you think in general of uh, of, uh, what, of watching her on screen? I, I think you're right. I think when they when they try to do things like have her seduce a guard or something like that, it's a little painful to watch because it just it doesn't work, and she's not very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> And the dubbing even makes it worse still. Hello. Hello. Come on. Come here. Come on. Come here. No, I thought she. I thought she did an acceptable job. It's, she kind of. She looks a little bit like you know your mom, but uh, <laughs> not your mom specifically. But. <laughs> Because I've never met your mom, but uh, you know she's got kind of that look, so that you you, you kind of is she really a ninja? Is even for IFD and film art standards, is she really a ninja? But you know the action scenes uh, are a lot of fun. She seems sort of semi-actionable anyway, because uh, she participates to a fair degree. I think yeah, she's working the whip versus the two stuntmen in that opening demo. It's really fast and intricate stuff, which is sort of her um, casting call, uh, like for the uh, father of 
the uh, character from the old movie, you know, the the daughter in the prison, you know, she has to demonstrate that she got the goods. So after that, she's handed, and this is obviously not going to get old anytime soon, a photograph from the old movie to, uh, so she can identify who the daughter is. And uh, it always kills me because it's a photograph from the movie and obviously not a family photograph. Right. Because, because they, they wouldn't have been able to do that. They had to <laughs> cut out the frame from the old movie, like, hey, here she is. And she definitely looks like this because it's from the prison. We got this photo. And, you know, I mean, here's here's the thing about uh, uh, films like this. You occasionally, by inserting a ninja plot, particularly if you're trying to really integrate it, uh, you end up with some plot holes that you could drive uh, a truck through. And uh, the father of Sylvia sends in uh, our lady ninja to infiltrate the camp and help Sylvia escape. But she doesn't really do it. Uh, she, uh, and of course, because she can't, but that's ostensibly her goal. And she goes in and she says to Sylvia, Oh, if you want to write a letter to your dad, I'll take it to him. And she does. Uh, I guess she teleports out of the, out of the prison, but she doesn't do it with Sylvia. She just does it with a note. And then she delivers the note to her father. I don't father. have a ninja van. I can't do this. Right. Yeah. That, mu- that must be it. And, uh, and her father says, Let her know that, uh, I'll, I'll let her out uh, or I'll, I'll rescue her as soon as I can. Well, okay, so, okay, one, so it's not a priority. And two, isn't that the ninja's job? And three, why isn't she doing that job? Because she can't, as you rightly said. And uh, right. it's it's fun here. It's normally easy here to spot where the old movie started, where the ninja footage, uh, where, it, where it ends and the ninja footage enter, if you will. Here it's mightily even more easier because, number one, it's an older movie. Number two, the uh, print that Filmark was working with is very much faded compared to their like almost popping like a very much colorful footage of their own you know what i mean so it's mm-hmm. so easy to see uh, but it's not a bad thing absolutely not a bad thing because as easy as it is as you hinted at they integrate themselves in the movie very well there's a scene one of the first scenes from girls in the tiger cage and i, I should state this there were two of these movies girls in the tiger T- cage one and two for the second discussion we we could open up this factoid Philmark might have had both uh, because i i've not seen the original and uh, they share the same cast as well like the, the prison oh. guard the smiling prison guard he's in the second one as well so they might have had both there might have been like a cliffhanger at the end of one, and uh, we see the conclusion at the end of Shadow Killer's Tiger Force. I don't know. Right. My point is, they when we first uh, see the old movie, Cora Bentley is uh, driven uh, past this uh, worksite for all the women uh, in a van, and we see it from the original movie cut to an insert of uh, her, along with some other Chinese uh, cast members, looking on to all the women that, um, looking at all the women that are working at the side of the road. That insert is more colorful than than the old movie, but I got to tell you, Ed, it's a good insert. They doubled the van really well, like the door. They managed to match the door really well. I agree entirely. I'm glad that you brought that up, because otherwise I was going to. That was part of the, the point, the, the period where it was still foiling my attempts to figure out which was the uh, source movie and which was the original, and I thought, okay, well, we're at the camp, so now we must be at the old movie. And it cuts to a convincing insert from the van, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess, I guess I'm wrong. And, and, and isn't it wonderful to still all these years after be uh, kind of like what is uh, is that hmm? Hmm? Uh, where you're sort of a, that where you're not really um, ahead of the movie you know ahead of Filmark's techniques you know because mm-hmm. they're not as transparent all times as 
these movie shows, which is uh, pretty pretty good. And uh, for for mostly up until maybe the halfway point, I was you know I, I didn't think uh, Shin Sang Oak's footage as it is edited here was stale or anything. It, it, it sort of lost my interest after the halfway point, I should state. But it, it was plenty of fun before it. I've been here longer than you've been grown up, kiddo. So watch what you're saying. Are you looking for a fight with me? We, uh, one of the actors that I do recognize here is male actor who plays the chief, the main prison guard, uh, Shen Hung Lee, with that amazingly big smile. And you can imagine that that in Taiwanese cinema, he played a lot of bad guys because. He, oh, I'm I'm so surprised. And he's a great martial artist, and uh, he goes for it. You know, he's uh, oh, I, I love it when he does that. But I, I love it when he is in certain movies. He's always mad. He's always barking like a dog, like this. Uh, he plays the company bosses and what have you, and uh, <laughs> and isn't using his smile like he does in this movie because when he smiles, there's trouble. One of the better minor dumb dopey details that I noticed uh, during one of his dialogue scenes while he's smiling uh, Fillmore features a dialogue from him he's speaking behind those big teeth huh <laughs> and a, a good like one sentence or two you know what I mean like uh, this is amazing he's got there's dialogue going on behind there you know wonder what else is behind there <laughs> that's great how do you think they're like um, being in the same room with the other movie sequences work uh, versus like the better examples at uh, IFD, you know, Ninja Thunderbolt we praised for integrating, you know, Richard Harrison and Don Wong into, into the same room quite well. But here they do it a couple of times with Wayne Archer and uh, Shen Hung Lee. Uh, so, so what do you think of that? I can just briefly say that it, it's, it doesn't work as well as other, other examples uh, where they uh, insert themselves in the old movie because here, when it's in a room, it's just different film stock talking to each other, you know? Right. I think you nailed it. You can, you can tell because the, the source material is, is faded and the, the new stuff pops and is more saturated. Uh, and Wayne Archer, you know, he's really in a, in a different room with a map of the world behind him, and it's uh, but 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 it's fun. It's fun. I'm not familiar with women in prison movies either, as such. I mean, I don't know if in 1976 they've been around for long, and if it was, you know, genre tropes galore that Shin Sang Oak is echoing here. But it certainly is not a, an exploitation like this hard R exploitation movie to me because there's not. A whole lot of nudity. There's some fights in the cells and what have you, cat fights. But and the only bit of nudity I think we get is like we see a few of the women's uh, bottoms and in the shower. That's pretty. There much. is there is actually I, I I there was quite a lot of nudity, just not. But it's all sort of cleverly, you know, nipples are hidden by arms and things like that because there's a lot of group bathing scenes and and such, and they're very careful about what they show. Exactly. So it's it seems to it's not kid friendly, obviously, but uh, they they seem to want to avoid the wrath of the censors at that time by kind of by kind of shooting around it, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. I was curious. Um, I mean, one for just the sense of uh, time timeline here. The the original film was shot or was made in like seventy six, a couple of years before um, Shin Sang Ok was uh, kidnapped. Um, by North Korea, and uh, this version uh, was released the same year that he escaped. 76, um, it's, it seemed like, I was curious, because it was a Korean co-production with, um, excuse me, uh, 
Taiwan. It was just it was a few years before the uh, social realist film really kicked in, where there was uh, kind of it's kind of a euphemism uh, for a lot of uh, female exploitation movies. And uh, it seemed to share some elements of that, but I, I wasn't sure kind of where that fit in the timeline of those kinds of films. And you might know a little bit more than I do on that one. If you look at Taiwan only, uh, Korea, I'm not so familiar with. It certainly seems to stand out because I associate Taiwan almost all the way in the 70s as this factory of action, martial arts action and uh, romantic melodrama and not really venturing outside of that too much. So it's certainly not a long an example amidst a whole lot of a whole lot of other movies as well. I mean, it seems pretty unique for its time and seems like the co-production aspect got it made because I, I don't think necessarily a WIP movie in Taiwan was uh, possibly not mainstream or commercial. Interesting. So so money might have helped it. Uh, uh, got made, uh, but I, I've have heard of it prior to finding out that it was the source movie for Shadow Killers Tiger Force. So and it's uh, so obviously I haven't checked if the original is available in some shape or form. So, um, but the, what, what's here is okay. But I, did, I didn't think the grit came through as such. I mean, they they have like sufficient sets and it looks looks kind of you know depressing and it's supposed to look depressing. But I didn't think there was. Um, I wasn't very engaged, to be honest, uh, after the halfway point, and I looked forward more to seeing how Deborah Grant or Cora Bentley will affect the original movie, what they will do, because they do it continually in the movie, what they will do to, um, in the way, uh, what am I trying to say? Well, she she affects the, you know, the old, uh, the old movie, she hands stuff to the old movie. Old movie. One, in one scene, it looks like she's handing a weapon to one of the girls, it's possibly a tool of some kind. And that's it. And in, in another scene, she affects, because she, she's a ninja, she uh, creates a bit of a tiny bit of earthquake that makes a lot of rocks uh, fall down from a height and onto other characters, which I don't think was a clever idea or not. Uh, it seems like a misguided thing, but that's what Cora Bentley is there to do. And that's what the editing is uh, structured around, that she affects the movie in various ways and I think they, they it, it, that that is so much fun because as simple as it sounds really listeners Filmark are doing uh, some really exceptional work in, in matching surroundings and costumes as you said and having fun too because her for some reason like boing and then letting you know s- sending some like ninja magic to a couple of rocks and the rocks falling down that's just goofy fun you know it, it, it wasn't uh, telegraphed beforehand that this is what I do. This is my power, and I'm gonna use it mm-hmm. in the prison. <laughs> uh, so that that's that's fun all throughout the movie. I, I think Filmar keeps they they don't uh, they don't lose interest in uh, in uh, like uh, interacting with uh, the old the old movie. They keep that illusion going all throughout the movie. Um, Someone thinks they can have a day off. Well, they can't. She does have a fever. She's not faking it. Have a day off. Do you think they do a solid job all throughout uh, on on that uh, on that note? Oh, I agree completely with everything that you just said. Very good. <laughs> I wasn't sure though of one thing, and here's where maybe the plots, uh, the plot holes, and what have you. The, the labor camp. It's I might be wrong because you're much more attentive than me and much more clever than I am to spot uh, what the plots actually are, as evident on other shows. I, I I was confused if the if the labor camp was. It's away from the government, presumably. You know, it's a secret mm-hmm. location. No one knows of them. But they can receive mail. 
I was I was just gonna say that uh, I, I have I have a note here. It says, uh, and they're just both quote they're they're quotes that happen uh, uh, consecutively. The bad guy says, uh, "The government doesn't know we're here." Immediately cut to next scene. Mail call. <laughs> Mail's here. <laughs> I mean, why aren't the government stepping in to free them? There, this is the way Filmark dubs it. All right, so so we shouldn't like blame entirely the old movie, but sometimes. Filmark and IFD didn't rework the old movie's dialogue and plotting a whole lot. They just added ninja in the dialogue every now and again. You know what I mean? Because uh, you've seen, I think, an example of two or two of, of the original versus the new movie and uh, the new IFD or Filmark movie, and it's it can seem pretty similar. So I'm I'm sure it might be, it could be in the old movie as well. Who knows? Uh, uh, so, so I never really got that, like the logic of that. That doesn't, that wasn't the reason I was taken out of the movie as such, because for some reason I'm very forgiving on that in that regard. Because it, if it presents a decent amount of fun, mixing Filmark and Shin Sang Oak's movie, then hey, I'm, I'm 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 pretty much there all throughout. I'm not sitting there like plot hole, plot hole. Boy, am right. I, boy, am I, you know, disowning this movie right now. And if and if you understand the mechanics of these films, then you can figure out pretty quickly that. This is uh, an artifact of the original film that wasn't scrubbed out when they made changes. The greatest sequence in Shin sang movie is where, I don't remember if this was Sylvia crawling under the floor through trying to escape, you know, through spider webs and barbed wire. That, I thought, was uh, quite a visually arresting sequence uh, and showed an example that runs kind of throughout the movie as well, that these women in the original movie, they are either forced to be game actor actresses or all pretty game actresses because they, they go through some some stuff in this movie and per- perform some stunts and what have you. No, that, well, I'm glad you said it. That was one of the scenes that uh, I found uh, most compelling as well. That was one of my examples of it being the kind of movie, the kind of source movie where I'm still interested and not just waiting for the next ninja scene. This it was sort of a, a prime example of the kind of stuff that the the original film did that kept me with it for the entire runtime. That's the best example of the grit it can bring because when she's out, you know, the sequence doesn't end. You know, she's on this beach with uh, sand, sand that's uh, uh, wet sand and what have you, and it seems like uh, quicksand almost because when she puts her feet down, it, you know, her entire leg goes goes down and. Uh, uh, into it, and then she meets uh, Chen Hung Lee's character, who wants to shoot her but can't because she, Sylvia, if that was indeed Sylvia, is the one that has been chosen as one of the main slaves for Wayne Archer. Uh, you know, the top, the top three kind of. Right, and and yes, I, I believe that's Sylvia. Fifty-three of you will be going to the Middle East to live life in a palace, which is better than life here. I hope you will be cooperative, otherwise you'll spend the rest of your lives right here. So she can't be um, can't be killed. So it's a little bit confusing about the structure of the prison and the whole like um, and and the plot in general. But it's it's all good fun. I mean, uh, one sequence I would have liked to see in here because it looks like one of the more graphic ones in the original. I don't know if you spotted it, but spotted it because after this scene where it said to Chen Hung Lee's character that you can't kill her, you cut to like a five second scene of her hanging in this like rope contraption mm-hmm. being tortured and it's over in a few seconds maybe less than five even so it's like hey that's cool where did it go you know i wanted more of that you know it looked like that was the most exploitation aspect of girls in the tiger cage but uh, that's certainly a conscious edit uh, possibly 
unless because we watched a German uh, edit of this, maybe they shortened it. That I don't know. But um. all the girls will be locked up until further notice. There'll be no food for any of them until we find the culprit. He's in terrible shape. I wish the doctor would hurry up. Most of his skin's got this stuff on it. Isn't there anything that we can do for him? Uh, God damn it! Uh, we ought to have a doctor on this bastard camp. Right. Uh, this is an emergency. Get headquarters to send a helicopter. Uh, yes, I will. Do you think it's um, a good place to start to introduce people to Philemark, or do you have personally some other examples, or would you want to like uh, throw Robo Vampire at people immediately instead? Philmark in general, uh, maybe maybe Robo Vampire, um, Philmark Ninja movies. This would be a pretty good one. I th- this was one where I realized that I might have been giving Philmark uh, short shrift um, because they did some really innovative stuff that IFD generally felt a little bit too lazy to do. In, in most cases. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I mean, that kind of neatly leads us into a finale that is if you don't, if you expect the short film or uh, IFD finale, you're going to get uh, like 10 Christmas presents at once here. Because this is uh, not Filmark's only example of uh, providing an epic action finale that they're kind of not able to pull off, but do anyway. And that's something I admire. Want to lead us off, Ed, to to talk of uh, any spontaneous notes about this finale that takes place in several locations. It's not just one one location; it's several locations and concepts. Several locations, uh, some costume changes. Um, there's an awful lot uh, where where IFD would normally go the route of having some wild and crazy ninja weapons. In this case, uh, they really go for the over-the-top ninja magic, and so there's a lot of sort of unbelievable magic stuff. And I, I may be mentioning some of these things uh, out of order. You have uh, ninjas walking through walls and then uh, jumping up into an attic where there's coffins and the lady ninja pops out of a coffin, but she sort of floats out of it as, as if she's a ghost wearing a, a sheer white uh, costume, does a sexy ninja dance to seduce the other ninja, but it's trick. And she tries to attack him, but it doesn't work. And she tries to cut off his head, and his head slides off of his body and then slides back on with ninja magic. And <laughs> then they continue to fight. That, that, that's like out of this world creative for these movies, and not anything that IFD would even think of. I, I mean, they at best, they had what starts off this finale, like a great piece of sword choreography for 30 seconds, and then like a slow motion slash. And the bad guy goes down and the end. And and that's what you expect when that kind of happens. Like, they're done sword fighting. Right, 82 minutes. That pre- oh, there's more. Okay, well, step into the walls. <laughs> step into the wall, wall lady or through the wall lady. And then it enters its third location where, where she gets some assistance, uh, Deborah Grant, from uh, her employer and his henchmen. And I, I suppose it's impossible not to talk of uh, how this is all capped uh, with um, you know I can I can essentially set you up with it because I'm sure you can speak of it much more eloquently than I can how do they take out Wayne Archer the, the head ninja you know do, do, I mean do, does she uh, use a sword against him and slash him to death and defeat him the good old-fashioned ninja kung fu way uh, why no no she doesn't and and the first thing and yet another one of these fake outs is that the uh, the heroes come in uh, the the you know his, her employer comes in with all of his guys and uh, they shoot the ninja to death with guns and you think okay well he's very dead but wait he's not and uh, is starting to do more damage and is chasing after one of the other guys uh, and one of her boss's other 
dudes uh, breaks out a bazooka uh, and pulls out a rocket um, that is uh, suspiciously similar to the ninja torpedo from the beginning of the movie. And, and before, before he loads it, Lady Ninja takes it out of his hand and in blood scribbles some Chinese as you might do on uh, a, a charm or something uh, and then hands it back to him to load. He can't get a he can't get a shot. Uh, he can't he can't lock on. But eventually he fires, and uh, the rocket becomes a ninja-seeking missile. Yes, <laughs> on a wire, and that wire is visible, like you read about. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, it, it's wonderful. I love Wayne Archer's reaction in slow motion to seeing the rocket. It's almost it, it doesn't sound like this, but what I was thinking when I saw his reaction was. Homer Simpson shout, you know. Ah! Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's totally a cartoon sequence, and you you see him running away from the rocket, and both of them are in frame, and it's just hysterical. <laughs> and it, in the end, he jumps into a building, and the rocket goes into there, and boom! But it doesn't end there because it has a little bit of everyone gathers up and like, yeah, we did it. Are you okay? Yeah, we did it. And then the end, you know, almost like a little, uh, let's all gather up to see everyone's okay. So in the, in the case of this, Philmark had no hurry to end this at all. Like, uh, you sit there and watch what we do. I, I mean, you, we might not do it well, but we do it. And and, and, and that's what you got to give them. They perform this sequence. I mean, I can't perform this sequence. I can't execute this sequence. And that's what you get also by... Because they were presumably working with a part Hong Kong crew that has some, has some experience working in several decades of Hong Kong cinema, very special effects and obviously action choreography. So it's no surprise that they could do some of this. But I suppose my final tally to this is they execute it as well as they can, but they make it fun. It could have been long and boring. You know, you got to have some skill, I suppose, in making it fun. Oh yeah, with with all of these kinds of movies, if uh, I don't really care if you can actually achieve your vision or not, uh, it's just important to me that you go for it. Because if they played it safe, it would be boring, even if it was very well choreographed. And IFD can be argued to have played it safe. You know, these end fights were criminally short sometimes. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, I mean, the swordsmanship uh, and the short kung fu, fine, but then it just seems. You kind of sometimes get tired of after Richard Harrison has defeated another ninja, zoom in on his face and he takes off his ninja mask and then walks off like I've seen that sequence 50 times. You know, But here, it's not as calculated. And um, there, there's a couple of other movies where Filmark do these uh, major action finales. And um, I got to give them uh, huge props for that. I have fun with it each and every time. And uh, no, I can remember another example being in a movie that was also fun all throughout, you know what I mean? So it's, it was not like this ball fest and then the film arc action finale came. So it was um, it was uh, blessed in that regard that it was part of a uh, entire fun vision, if you will. So, the little bit you ruined my empire is here. I'm going to destroy you and make you die in agony. So, so yep, it's uh, it's it's wholly approved, uh, really. I mean, I, I recommend it. That I, that I find it boring in the second half in terms of watching the original footage is maybe my blood first or boob first or something like that for exploitation and I didn't get enough of it possibly but uh, but hey overall it's uh, it comes recommended and there's a reason I picked this for our first film mock show boob thirst needs to be a thing <laughs> that's my that's my uh, that's my condition that you know I do another show about uh, Hong Kong adult movies so obviously I uh, I have a problem so <laughs> uh, this 
is available. Shadow Killers Tiger Force it was fairly recently put out on DVD in Germany in a widescreen presentation. I think it's cropped, but not noticeably so. It's in English language and even features in the supplements an interview with Thomas Tang on camera, speaking wonderful English from um, sometime in the 90s before he... Uh, Is it just uh, Godfrey Ho in, in Groucho glasses? <laughs> that would have been amazing, but it's not. It's an actual guy. You know, a complete... Not Joseph Lai. We know what Joseph Lai looks like. Not Godfrey Ho. We know what he looks like. Nope, it's a completely different guy. Thomas Tang speaking wonderful English and also being very aware of the product he's putting out because they, I think it's Toby Russell, they, they interviewed him, uh, Toby Russell of Eastern Heroes. They, they kind of honestly go back and forth about, uh, are these movies good? Most of them, nah. But uh, the market likes them. You know, and the poster is great. So he seemed like this very um, aware businessman, and I, I like that stance. So he's not, like, pretending this is uh, action revolution on screen. You know, we're, we're in the market of, doing stuff but hey if it's fun stuff for us to talk about and see then then hey then then exploit the market all you want you know as long as you provide fun and uh, this was shot presumably a couple of years before thomas tang unfortunately died in a uh, quite a famous fire in hong kong he um don't know if it was in the film offices or not it might have been and uh, thomas tang passed away but the internet sometimes claims that godfrey ho is thomas tang that joseph lie is thomas tang that godfrey ho is both uh, i would be surprised if we get from this point on, like a continual like uh, barrage of blog posts that feature the same misinfo. I think it seems to have stopped its momentum by now. You know what I mean? Uh, they, it just seems that people tend to get it a lot more. It's it's sl- it's maybe it's slowed, but I still see it. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so you you can get it. It's on uh, DVD, and uh, that's uh, cool. And that company or a few companies are putting out uh, various uh, Filmock movies and IT movies on DVD, even though they might be from old sources and old VHS and stuff. They are, um, as far as I know, are trying to get uh, widescreen versions on uh, on disc. You know, and that that's pretty damn cool. And supplements uh, if you can find them. So uh, there you go. Uh, but we're done for Shadow Killer with Shadow Killers Tiger Force. And uh, we take we are taking a break, and then we are going to discuss the my favorite film arc movie hands down, you know, until I see something better, but I doubt it. And it's Robo Vampire from 1988, something that should have been called really at Robo versus Vampire, but hey, that's my only niggle, if you will. Uh, but uh, that I, I wanna I should own that poster and frame that because that Robo Vampire poster is, you know, sheer brilliance. I mean, they, these artists were, you know, in all seriousness absolutely amazing absolutely amazing uh, and I hope they got paid well because they went above and beyond to create art for these movies that you know set the market on fire for a couple of years anyway so uh, get props to them and we'll talk of Robo Vampire much much more after the break so let's have a good old, good old party with the film art movie so sit tight Welcome back, and now we are going to look at Robo Vampire from 1988. And you can kind of sense that that it is late in the Ninja timeline. You know that IFD eventually abandoned Ninjas, and it was around the end of the 80s. So uh, 
guess uh, kind of makes sense that it's 1988 if uh, that date is right. It might be 89 as well. But anyway, plot from my review of, of the film. Uh, it's always a pleasure when I can write uh, a plot uh, based on watching these films because they are sometimes confusing. But this one was pretty, uh, pretty straightforward, I think. So on the hunt by anti-drug agents, a gang of Caucasian heroin smugglers led by Ernest Mauser. I don't think he's credited as that in the movie, but that's his uh, actual name. He enlists the help of a Taoist priest played by actor Shun Kwok Ming to both create hopping vampire warriors, but they're also to be used as a tool for smuggling drugs. The uh, dopes, the assistant to uh, assistants to the Taoist priest, uh, one is played by Kong Do, and the other is played by Sun Chen, who we referenced in the Shadow Killers uh, Tiger Force review. It's the same guy who fights on the poles in the sh- in Shadow Killers. He's uh, he's Ken in this movie. Uh, they are uh, hired to assist the priest and accidentally resurrects the vampires, including one half of. For a former couple, a romantic couple, which prompts the ghost Christine, which is um, a, a Western actress, to haunt the surroundings and crave, uh, and she eventually crave the help of the priest to marry the deceased lovers in exchange for help in battling former cop Tom Wilde. And finally, we're going to talk about Robo Warrior. Former cop Tom Wilde now turned robot warrior. Meanwhile, in the Thai movie. Because this is a, this is a cut and paste movie. Sora Pong Chat Ri's character is hired to break out uh, agents out of the clutches of a golden triangle drug lord. It sounded like such a long plot, like get to Robo Warrior already, get to Robo Warrior already, but that's how the movie is structured as well. You know, you you have to wait a good thirty minutes before Tom Wilde is uh, is dead. You know, so we don't get this um, early appearance a la Robocop and Peter Weller, and uh, I think by the thirty minute mark in Robocop. Uh, he's uh, well, maybe they're the same timestamps, but regardless, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, confusing myself here. We said we are going to talk a little bit about Thomas Tang again. It's important to emphasize it hard who we are talking about here because the internet says that Thomas Tang wasn't real and he was Godfrey Ho and he was Joseph Lai, blah blah blah, but he was an actual person, as we mentioned. The film uh, was the company he uh, headed and formed, and he was once an associate of Joseph Lai and in house director Godfrey Ho. Once they were at um, Asso Asia, you can see all these uh, old Asso Asia trailers for various Dragon Lee Kung Fu movies. All of those names popped up on Asso Asia. Thomas Tang, Joseph Lai, you know, very proudly so, like the latest super production from Joseph Lai and Thomas Tang. So that was like, you know, the end of 70s, early 80s uh, in terms of the timeline. And Godfrey Ho, the in-house director, he didn't direct uh, at Filmark, as we stated before. The best way to confirm this, Ed, um, the best confirmation we've received on all of this is from Godfrey himself. He said this in an interview with uh, Hong Kong Cinemagic, I believe, that nope, did not direct the film arc. So that put it like an end to that, you know what I mean? So uh, there was no no like indirect information there. Um, but uh, Thomas Tang set up his own company, as we said, uh, called Filmark, and started buying properties for distribution. Uh, he didn't start like um, cutting the movies up and inserting uh, westerners into them. And movies like The Challenge of the Lady Ninja and A Life of Ninja are two examples of full Taiwanese movies that were given an English dub by Filmark and distributed worldwide. So that's what they did, just like uh, IFD did with the various movies, presented them complete. But uh, Thomas Tang eventually, just like Joseph Lydid started mixing and matching, cutting and pasting once there was a 
market potential out there for ninja action movies and uh, he obviously inserted various western faces in his movies again in the new footage that was combined with uh, old footage uh, from Thai movies and what have you to make a new movie and uh, the, the funny thing with uh, Filmark as you well know Ed they didn't have many consistent leading men they came and women they came and went uh, which is uh, I don't know if you ever if you like that better that that one you leads uh, almost every time in film movies. You know, actually, I kind of prefer the the uh, the star system for uh, cut, my my cut and paste movies because I get to uh, root for uh, Richard Harrison or you know Scowl at Stuart Smith who did do a couple of uh, film arc movies as uh, Stuart Steen. So Stuart Steen, some, yes. So for some reason, he couldn't use his real name, or his actual voice, because the Filmark movies suck in comparison when, when it features Stuart Smith, because you don't hear his wonderful Australian uh, voice on there. So. I, I feel like he he dubbed some, maybe not his own voice in some, but I could have sworn that I'd, I'd, I've heard his voice in some of the Filmark movies, but I could be wrong. He maybe reeled it in, because you know where very well that Stuart Smith is a, is a mad performer. He's on. Like oh, yeah. About, like the Golden Ninja Warrior. He's the best. That mouth is his greatest weapon. Like it uh, can drive a truck through that mouth as well. <laughs> uh, but, but okay, uh, that's a that's a, um, uh, that, that's a cool perspective. I mean, uh, that, that, that's the most star system I guess you had at Filmark. That uh, Mike Abbott and uh, Stuart Smith occasionally appeared uh, at Filmark. Yeah, but uh, Thomas Tang pursued other interests and uh, trends uh, when ninjas was deemed to not be potential for the market anymore. Like uh, at the end of the eighties and. He didn't go the kickboxing route. I don't think he went there at all. I mean, he liked uh, the trend of that Mr. Vampire ignited the hopping vampire craze. And certainly for a few years, because that was 1985, that craze had been constant in Hong Kong cinema and was kind of on its way out as well. But that's where he went, you know. And Robo Vampire, you know, it feels to me like it's clearly Thomas Tang having this, I don't know, love for free-for-all mad fusion of horror, martial arts, and sci-fi. Just put it all in there. That'll be so much fun. And I'm the boss, so you're going to do what I'll tell you. But the boss had good instincts because we obviously, we like and love RoboVampire for its full plate, you know. I can't can't imagine that going the hopping vampire out was the wisest in a business sense because I, I, I can't imagine those had the international appeal that kickboxing and ninjas and stuff did. No, I, I think you're spot on because I just have a feeling that Thomas Tang did it because he liked it. Like, and he knows yeah. it brings some mad energy to it. Uh, but you're very right for uh, as a business decision. No, uh, but they did it for a couple of movies, maybe four or five. I, I've not seen uh, – I've seen um, – Counter Destroyer, aka the Vampire is Alive, which Robo Warrior also features in. It's not a sequel, but uh, he, he's in there. He's shoehorned in, like you read about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, also, Devil's Dynamite has a Robo Warrior style character too, but it's a redesigned version, I suppose. Not a better design, just redesigned. It's a gritty reboot. <laughs> and uh, Vampire Raiders Ninja Queen, I think one is called as well, that I think is from Fieldmark and has Hoppy Vampires. So a couple of them, maybe five or six. Hopefully a lot more because I love, love the um, decision to, to get them in there. But it's business as usual in another sense too because Thomas Tang and company sourced a Thai action movie starring uh, superstar Sorapong Chatri, which is obviously a familiar face for followers of Thai action cinema, but also Joseph Lai and Thomas Tang, because his 
starring vehicles often ended up being source movies for Joseph Lyon and Thomas Tang. So that, that's business as usual. They insert um, they insert themselves into that movie, but 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 but. but. It's also not business as usual because the source movie, uh, I, I know the Thai title, but, but I, I can't pronounce it, but uh, it's I did. But the source movie is barely used at all here because in an unusual move, which IFD did maybe once or twice, Robo Vampire is about 70% of Filmox's own in-house madness with only sprinkles of the Thai movie edited into the hopping Robo Vampire Fuel, drug-fueled insanity on display here. That's one huge reason why, reason why I love Robo Vampire. That uh, Filmark got to stretch their creative like minds a little bit. Like, hey, we'll, we'll take, we'll, we're gonna take this over now, <laughs> you know, and screw with people's heads who think they know us. They think we are gonna provide them with ten minutes. Uh-uh. No, we're not. For some insight, by the way, into what the working experience was like for a Filmark player. I advise you to check out the link in the show post to John Charles' interview with actor Kent Willis, which uh, is a very chatty and good-natured star of these movies. He was the star of Crocodile Fury at Filmock. Not seen that movie, but obviously it, it is, or it's supposed to be anyway, a killer croc movie. So obviously it sounds awesome. And he appears in the first scene in Robo Vampire during the vampire breakout, if you will. And one of his quotes working for Phil Mark was, and I hope this uh, gets your attention, listeners, we often fear for our safety. <laughs> Marvelous. <laughs> and that's not like that's business as usual coming from Hong Kong cinema, because the, obviously union and regulation, That's that was not what Hong Kong was in the 80s and 90s, even for big movies, you know, there's a reason Jackie Chan and the likes could do so much that they did, because it wasn't against regulations to put yourself at that risk, but, you know, lower down the ladder, you would expect some harsh treatments because you were not, you're, you're not a star, and if you were a Westerner in a Jackie Chan movie, having a bit of a fight cameo or whatever, you could pretty much guarantee that you were treated harshly, you know, even on the verge of racism. Uh, even though these were Filmox stars for Filmox productions, uh, he, he gives off the impression in a good-natured way that it, 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 uh, it was a little bit dangerous here and there. Probably like fire gags and stuff that maybe wasn't controlled or what have you. But read that interview. It's, it's great to hear like a first-hand account of uh, these things. So before we get into a review, we, we've talked endlessly about the fact that out there on the internet, there's uh, information on IMDb, for instance, that Godfrey Ho directed a whole lot of movies uh, that he didn't direct. You know, various Filmark movies has Godfrey Ho's attached name attached to them. You know, Godfrey Ho's Robo Vampire, The Thundering Ninja, and so forth. I know you can differentiate it then, that it's clearly not Godfrey Ho that did Robo Vampire or Shadow Killers Tiger Force. But what, in your estimation, what is it that sort of is the telltale sign of? Film, that it isn't Godfrey Ho at Filmark, you know what I mean? Um, I used to have a good answer for that, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that I, I don't now. Uh, I, I used to feel that the Filmark stuff was just not as ambitious as Godfrey Ho's stuff at uh, IFD, but that's not true, um, as evidenced by the previous movie that we watched. And I, I'm talking mostly in terms of ninjas, because Robo Vampire is kind of its own beast. 
so it, it really comes down to intangibles and, and little bits and pieces like no ninja headbands and uh, Godfrey Ho didn't really show a lot of interest in the hopping vampires and things like that. But there's there are certain uh, kind of intangible elements of the work that Godfrey Ho did at IFD that became kind of signature that is completely absent from the film arc stuff. I probably, just like you did, had a simple answer that I kind of abandoned because at one point I said like the film arc movies are ever the film arc ninjas rather are ever so more uh, crappier, but in an affectionate way though because I had mm-hmm. fun with fun with the film arc movies. But now being exposed to Shadow Killers, Tiger Force, and various other movies where they stretch their creativity a little bit more, I I reeled that in and I I kind of just go by the feeling of how mad I perceive the best film arc movies being that I don't think Godfrey Ho had a robo vampire in him because the energy is is something else. Godfrey Ho had it in him occasionally, but not for Ninja Terminator, for instance. But not for stretches like this. And Ninja Terminator doesn't feel doesn't feel even just cinematically anything like Robo Vampire. No, not at all. I mean, okay, we deal with different genres here, therefore you can style it up a little bit with the cinematography and what have you. But still, the energy is, to me, decidedly different. That to a new viewer of both IFD and Filmark, we should obviously give them the benefit of the doubt that it might not be easy to spot because, hey, it's the ninja thing there and it's also the ninja thing there. What's the difference there? But, but at least if, if someone asks the question, that <laughs> then that's good, rather than making a determination that, hey, they are the same. I'll, I'll, I'll be spreading that information now. So, uh, but yeah, it's 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 a difficult question, suppose to, to answer. But it's it's also wonderful to uh, kind of spot the differences. And but and you also don't know the all the field markers at field mark because this is credited to Joe Livingstone, which is maybe they had one director, maybe several because they had action performers, knowing action choreography and obviously camera setup and what have you. So maybe it was kind of a collaboration effort, but the, that's where the film rep, movies represents more of a mystery. Even if Tommy Chang is credited, even if Tony Kong is credited, which often meant Kong Do, who appears in this movie as one of the two dopey vampires, vampire Taoist priest assistants. And t- time may prove me incorrect, but uh, Joe Livingstone is one of the fakiest fake names that I've ever heard from one of these films. Well, wait till we get to Vampires Alive. I think that's credited to Edgar Jerry, J-E-R-E. That's pretty good, isn't it? Ha, huh, yeah. It's like almost an um, uh, exotic name, you know, Edgar yeah. Jerry. So, Edgar yeah. Jerry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think Joe Livingstone is back for Devil's Dynamite, the sort of third Robo Warrior movie, although it's the di- it's a different gritty reboot, as we said. So We must find a way to handle Tom, that goddamn anti-drug agent. Boss, what are your plans then? I've employed a Dallas. He'll train vampires to deal with him. Contact headquarters, Richard, and ask Young to find a new way to smuggle the heroin in. Meanwhile, I'll send Tony and Ken over to watch the Dallas Vampires. There we go. But let's get into it. My brief opinion, I mean, we've already, already spilled this, but uh, for for the sake of uh, the show structure, I'm going to say this. Anyway, Filmark not only populates this Joe Livingstone-directed cut-and-paste glorious mess with, with much of their own footage, but they provide technical chops, partly, a sense of energy and fun, an overly filled plot, but it's throughout so much fun. And thanks to the Thai movie not staying on screen for long, because I'm not a big fan of all the footage that they use from it, we we thankfully get more of the mostly 
technically ill Robo Warrior scenes, but thank God they're technically ill on a design level and. Uh, yeah, how they show him, uh, essentially. Uh, that's a long and short of it. <laughs> so uh, what do you think of Robo-Vampire Robo in short? No, I love it. It's just completely mad, totally bonkers. Um, every time that you think that you've seen all it has to offer, it throws in something completely new, uh, like the the Caucasian witch with a, a sheer white top or, the, or her uh, gorilla vampire ex-lover yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and so forth. It's just... Astounding. Hey, be careful. You start a fire, the vampires will wake up. Yeah, sure, Tony. <laughs> How much of a shock was it seeing and realizing this has the ratio reversed, that most of the movie is Phil Mark's own? Uh, it took a couple of viewings for me to realize that initially, because what I thought was it was just like three different movies or pieces, and, and I, I wasn't necessarily following the through line with some of the characters that would have given some of it away, but... Uh, you know, I kind of thought there's robo cop vampire stuff, and then there's other mystical stuff with some more vampires, but then also the the witch, and then there was this military plot, and uh, it just seemed like a complete mishmash. But uh, because because they use so much Chinese cast members, and you'd think that you're absolutely right that because I thought that hey, they used an old hopping vampire movie. I'm not seeing that. Where's Lam Ching Ying? You know, Mr. Vampire himself. But then you get some of the westerners interacting with those for real that you thought were the film arc you know cop plot or the bad guy plot so they they keep the mystery going like us on our seats you know what i mean this might be a source movie nope it's film arc zone exactly the most delightful thing is that it um never goes to a time movie it goes to a time movie quite late in the proceedings they're pretty proud to be doing this for a good 20 30 minutes before they even let uh, the type, uh, you know, the Sora Punk Chattery plot play with with them, you know what I mean? And uh, God is it glorious because we get an opening with, for, for some reason, they're, they're leaving this prisoner and have taken this awful detour, I suppose, into this graveyard where, you know, hopping vampire zombies turn up. And uh, I like that these are not, okay, in Mr. Vampire and the likes, you had occasionally some... Uh, you know, some nasty makeup on these zombies, and they were obviously zombie-like, but Thomas Tang's film arc here is um, going for more gruesome and uh, also quite um, able-hopping vampires in terms of their movements, because they're acrobatic as hell, and they can move almost freely. But they also hop, as they do, because their joints are stiff and what have you. That, that's the kind of the explanation overall. But it's I like that these, um, these hopping vampires are more ferocious beings than in most Hong Kong movies that came after Mr. Vampire. And so that that's a great big plus for Thomas Tang that it's, he tries to make it horror here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. M- might not have like the chops, Joe Livingstone, to pull off true horror, but they, 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 there's a ferocious, ferocious uh, nature to it that uh, is a great setup because this is a sort of small pre- scene before the credits come you know what i mean like hey robo vampire the credit come up credit comes up when he's got a big old piece of flesh in his mouth you know yeah so they okay i'm i'm on board this might only last for 10 minutes because i heard there's a time movie in here as well but hey at least i get 10 minutes and as a new viewer saying that obviously you will be surprised because <laughs> it lasts for a long time i i think a reason why it holds up technically these uh scenes especially when the assistants and the Taoist priests are taking care of the vampires and there's a vampire breakout in the uh, 
in uh, in their lair as well, so they have to put parchments on them and what have you. The reason I think that works is it's not far off from actual Hong Kong cinema. It's pulled off, I think, due to the crew being uh, being from Hong Kong cinema. Essentially, they can pull this off on the level of maybe not Mr. Vampire itself, the great big classic, but certainly it's not far off these copies that came subsequent to Mr. Vampire that even starred Lam Ching Ying. And I think that's a great big like pat on the back that Filmox should get in terms of uh, the footage that they create here. It's pretty well done. It's not, um, it's not like all outside in a little uh, forest and having ninjas running around and for two three minutes on screen day it's a it's a set here and a mix of you know editing and action and wire work and what have you and i gotta tell you i, I really admire that and that it's a reason why i'm into the movie as much as i am and i, I know you don't devour hong kong cinema as much as i do but uh, is that something you can kind of recognize that it's technically able uh, the footage yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, you've also got um, some really uh, clever lighting and um, fog effects and things like that that really uh, amp up the production values. Are you sure that even machine guns don't cause no harm to him? Come on, show us his vampire. These will help protect you from the vampire's power. You're his creator. Can't you manipulate him? Of course I can't control him, but you can Oh, oh, definitely. You're absolutely spot on. And the, the production values are actually good. It's not like this is compared to a Mr. Vampire copy. This is, uh, it's not like a bad mimic. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say. Even in my notes, I wrote kind of like the perspective, like, like the perspective and in the dialogue of, of a first time viewer who knows that it's going to switch to another movie soon. So, so essentially I wrote it. You'd think oh, that's the last we see of Filmark for a while after maybe the Taoist pre-sequence and the Western girl coming. Nope. It's more, you know, and it's all throughout uh, delightful and even decently atmospheric. You know, that whole lair with coffins and the vampires that are contained through the parchment and the scribble on the parchment. It's 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 well, well lit and stylish. And even uh, there's some decent stunts uh, throughout this whole sequence. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, almost the entire crew worked on at least one of these movies uh, Lam Ching Ying vampire movies before because they, they certainly show that they put their acquired skill to to work here and I think also and I wonder what you think of this it looks to me like Filmark like scheduled time to pull it off oh you mean like you really really planned for a serious production rather than trying to pull it off at a park exactly especially looking at the, these initial sequences alone you know oh yeah maybe not so when um when uh, you get to the Robo Warrior stuff, I suppose, but uh, uh, it's 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 obviously the glorious centerpiece of the movie. Uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, some clever editing in this movie. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to ask if you how you think uh, they integrate themselves into the Thai movie, or vice versa, really, because the Thai movie is not uh, featured uh, for the majority of the movie. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it works really well. Uh, there are the little things like um, there are Caucasian actors throughout. There's not a whole lot of it, but the the heroin smuggling through line helps as well. Yeah, exactly, because the, initially the, the first scene is Ernest, that where we see the interaction between the movies is Ernest Mauser, the guy with the um, moustache, is uh, talking to uh, some characters that are on this big ship. You know, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And that's him talking to the Thai movie and them talking back to whoever they were talking to. The only difference is that the, the Thai movie seems to be shot in more more of a sunny, d- during a sunny day. And the Ernest Mauser footage is quite cloudy, but it's still very, 
the illusion is quite strong for these movies. I gotta tell you, because that you know that's just me, like four or five viewings in, noticing weather, you know. And normally mm-hmm. I, I I go with it, I go with the flow, because it's not like it's raining in one shot, <laughs> you know. The, the contrast is not um, it's not that great. Right. I think I think the weirdest juxtaposition is within the new footage itself, and it's because it says the the characters say things and talk about the. Uh, the rest of its own plot that normally would be reserved for characters talking about the plot of the other movie and trying to link them. Yeah. So you get uh, Ernest Mauser, he's the bad guy, yeah? Yeah. He tells his crew, um, we must find a way to handle Tom, that goddamn anti-drug agent. <laughs> and and the uh, his, his goon says, how are we going to do that, boss? He says, I've hired a Taoist. He'll train vampires to deal with them. And he just says it so matter-of-factly, like it's a normal Wednesday. And you expect that that's the kind of thing that would be said by a character who's being shoehorned into a horror film, like a you know a, a monster movie or a ghost movie. And uh, they're just like, all right, we're just going to throw that together. But no, it's talking about the same film. Yep, yep, because they, they do interact. They do appear uh, in the same footage. Uh, some of the Westerners and even Ernest Mauser with uh, the Taoist priest, uh, Shun Kwok Ming. Shun uh, Kwok Ming was in, we mentioned him on the show briefly before, he's in Diamond Ninja Force as one of the people on the death list that Richard Harrison fights. You know, in Diamond Ninja Force, there's a whole lot of like ropey fight sequences with no doubles. But then eventually Shun Kwok Ming uh, fights versus Richard Harrison's double in uh, some great martial arts. So uh, he's in here as well. And that is a, a, a case where some Westerners are being shoehorned into a ghost story movie. <laughs> I think like the, the inspiration that Chinese ghost story of a Choi Hak production from two years earlier, one year earlier. It might have been on this production as well because Christine, the the, uh, the ghost, the Western ghost that uh, once her former lover that's now a uh, a vampire up for drug smuggling, being a drug smuggling conduit or what have you. It, it, it looks to me like uh, there's a little bit of echo there of uh, Chinese ghost story, but not this obvious echo. Uh, it's just one of those like, oh, we're doing this now? Because it's kind of fun that it's sort of unexpected and all of a sudden it's an added plot, a romance plot between dead creatures that also are going to get mar- uh, married, married off by the priest. That Okay, I'll go, I'll go with it. I mean, it's robo-vampire. I, I can wait with the robo for a little while at least. How dare you enter here, you witch! How dare you take my lover's corpse towers and turn him into a vampire beast? Now he is condemned to a living death, and we can never be together in the afterlife. I wasn't frustrated waiting for the appearance of him, uh, to be honest. I think, yeah, because the energy and the fun is is on a good level, you know what I mean? It's not a trick to get through this movie, right? Right, and if you're you're just holding off for the the RoboCop stuff, you're really going to be disappointed if, if that's your only purpose for watching this. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll get to that, uh, why it's uh, the design-wise, why it's uh, kind of ill, and uh, I'll, I'll, that's why I have you here to kind of describe how, film, what Filmog was trying to pull off, if you even can come up with the words of what they were trying to pull off, but I want to mention that uh, the uh, vampires that they let loose uh, when uh, they're almost caught by the police or army, the vampires shoot uh, smoke and fireworks out of their fingers and the smoke make uh, anyone who uh, gets smoke in their face that, that their face becomes all deteriorated and what have you and fireworks out of their fingers is uh, kind of uh, a fun inclusion because you never saw that in the Lam Ching movies either it looks cheap obviously it is fireworks and not like high pyrotechnics but uh, it's done with a fast like fast moving energy it's not sluggish on screen you know what I mean it, it comes with a, a type of energy that makes you really invested into it 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's 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 energetic and fun. It's certainly not predictable because we're watching here Robo Van Boy, a girl, a girl, a Chinese ghost, a Western ghost. Well, I couldn't see that. It's not calculated and predictable, which is and it's not very much like 1000 other film productions that came subsequently. It's very unique, you know, uh, the way it's uh, piles on this uh, plot that would have you but but eventually you know we 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 have forgotten about the at least i have forgotten about the robo cop ripoff plot and all of a sudden it happens tom wilde gets killed we don't know him for a long while even less than peter weller in RoboCop. we don't uh, i think the actor who plays tom wilde is not on screen for a whole long uh, for a long time so um he becomes robo warrior and i'm sure you have we, we're gonna play quotes but i'm sure you have Many things to say of how this all uh, gets into motion, how Robo Warrior is created. Uh, it's a it's a complex administrative process, I'm sure, of getting a permission to create this uh, android, this scientifically high tech android, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. It involves one guy going up to uh, some sort of military officer and saying, uh, "Since Tom's dead, I'd like to make use of his body to create an android-like robot, Mr. Glenn. I would appreciate you approving uh, my application." And rather than saying, rather than responding with, "What in God's name are you talking about?" So, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Do you work here? Uh, he says, "Oh, is do you have a is, is there a hundred percent chance of success?" And uh, the scientisty guy nods, and uh, he says, "All right, your application is approved." Uh, and then they go and they they weld him together with sparklers. Since Tom's dead, I want to make use of his body to create an android-like robot, Mr. Glenn. I would appreciate your approving my application. Are you assured of success? Hmm. All right, your application's approved. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's recently like hammered out metal, you know. They they and uh, and they use sparklers or like a like a blowtorch or what have you, and and put him together. And they have some uh, they put some innards into him, like high tech innards, which looks like I don't know what it is. They just put in like one box, like a car battery, something like that in his torso or what have you. And they'll they'll run him, and they know he runs because they have this uh, contraption that. Uh, has only two lights. One is a uh, plus light, which lights up green, and one is a minus negative light that lights up red. So that's how they know. Robot or no robot? <laughs> and, and some knobs that they that, that they uh, that they pull and uh, push and what have you, and make them seem like scientists. And th- this is one of the low, like least creative sequences. Obviously shot in one room with a few actors, and they're out of there pretty quickly. But you still marvel at the fact that when Robo Warrior wakes up, okay, that doesn't look like the poster. The poster looked like Robocop. So what does it look like? Can you even describe what the design team came up with for Robo Warrior and his uh, movement? Pattern? Yeah, he's baked potato cop. You know, I was, I was going to say he looks like a junkyard. More specifically, he is covered in uh, shiny silver polyester, kind of baggy. Like if you were to buy a... Um, a pre-made robot costume for Halloween. Um, it would be that same kind of material. And if you think, if you're, if you're a Doctor Who fan, think about the classic Cybermen and their sort of shiny, baggy pants and and uh, and, sh- and shirts underneath the the metal bits, and uh, and that'll give you kind of an idea. But it's done with no real sense of uh, design. So. Underneath the the shiny padding and stuff is a whole bunch of different shapes like pie plates and things, and uh, the arms have some uh, sort of 
tubing kind of shaped uh, polyester, like they've kind of made a little pattern. And uh, the helmet is, uh, I don't know, like it's an upside down kitchen utensil and a little bit of a visor. He's got a he's got an antenna and uh, and yeah, I mean it just looks ghastly. So it's not very metal in no uh, imposing in, in appearance. Like this is they, they were good at creating posters that certainly would not match what we get in the movie. And he, <laughs> Robo Vampire, I suppose, will represent the biggest letdown because they, they copied Robocop, the design for Robocop for the big big poster, the awesome poster. And this is what you get. Yeah, I mean, in the poster, it's it's clearly RoboCop uh, with a hopping vampire in a neck hold, and yeah. and he's firing a machine gun at a helicopter, and it's so awesome. Uh, and this and uh, what we actually get is absolutely hysterical and um, and fantastic. So his uh, movement pattern now that he's uh, a robot is that. Uh... Is that convincing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, they they put in some servo sound effects and they have him do the robot as he walks, and you just get the over and over again. It always came off as a big old like this more cloth there than metal. Right. Exactly. When I first saw it, and that, that, that's as much description as I can come up with, so I'm glad you had more. It's so jumbled, it's so randomly put together, it seems like. The, and, and that's, I think, is an element where the production didn't uh, schedule time to get it closer to what they saw in their heads, mm-hmm. you know, closer to Robocop. Here's like the fast moving side of the production. Just uh, get it up. That's good enough. Like, And remember that he got to move like that. Yeah, is, is is he silver? Fine, we're good. So cut the print, move it on us <laughs> with the old Ed Wood quote there. So so there you go. I mean, and, and this is obviously not a tale of humanity awakened in Robo Warrior after a while. You know, there's no there's no drama here. I came to Robocop. They, they, uh, when he's there, that's that's enough for me, though. That is there, you know, because it uh, ensures a lot more fun in the movie that we love at, of course. But it's a love with situation as well because of the sequences that they put Robo Warrior in. Let's talk briefly of the Thai movie because at this point they give the Thai movie a little bit more exposure and uh, it, it's a decent looking uh, action production again with Sora Pong Chatri's character. He's obviously in the original gonna free someone, you know, if she's an agent or a girlfriend. It's actually a Western girl, uh, but not Phil Mox, Western girl. So it looks fine, I suppose, and uh, there's some decent pyrotechnics that showed in the sequence where they're um, in the river and uh, their boat is blown up by Ernest Mauser's gang. It's a bit of a clever editing there, uh, convincing editing. Overall, it's not like on the cat, you know, the Catman Source movies. Uh, it's not on the flat level of those, but it's not really enough to sell me on tie action except for one stunt that I'm sure you've. Uh, You've noted in your uh, noted somewhere, you know, the big uh, stunt where they uh, almost get blown up. You know, uh, the Thai stuntman. Do you remember that one? They're on this. Uh, they're going over a river on this uh, kind of uh, uh, contraption on a uh, what do they call uh, one of those. Uh, yes, of course. Yes, I do know what you're talking about. And uh, that's one of those like daredevil Thai cinema stunts that looks awfully dangerous because that thing blows up and. At least one of them, because there's two characters in the movie, and they obviously have to have two stuntmen up there. One of them is awfully close to that uh, explosion, and I think there's a wide shot where they show that that one is high up in the air as well. So they have to jump 
from a high, high beam to the water and avoid being burnt. That's as much as I get out of the time of Any spontaneous notes on uh, how it plays? Is it at all fun as combined, you know? It's it's uh, workmanlike, I guess. It's sort of, a, you know, we've got some people captured and they need to escape and shoot some guys. That's There's not a whole lot to it in the footage, footage that you see. Who are you? We're two of the meanest fuckers around, that's who. You think so, do you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, I agree. I mean, it's, it's mildly fun just to think that it's all complete nonsense, that it's also part of this entire vision where you're hoping vampires and robo warrior and action you know it's a, such a full plate that that's enjoyable to think of but when it plays out you know the sorry upon chapter footage it's it's kind of just eh. i really loved at one point when they come to this big square where there's an arm wrestling competition that there's hundreds of extras there and uh, sorry upon chattery recognizes one person from the photograph via tattoo he he's not like a smooth like planner of things he just jumps at him directly right there like no tack at all he just starts fighting that tattooed man who held that uh, lady uh, female um, uh, western lady hostage he, he always comes off as like the only performer that has some kind of charisma but it just seemed like Chattery and Tai Cinema just churned out tons of these and watching them within, in the context within Filmark and IFT I'm not sure I'm ever going to be a fan of it unless it's the mad daredevil type of stunts uh, you know what I mean it, it, it always looks flat to me and maybe that's me judging it but it never looked exciting as such yeah I agree there is a, a Filmark movie a complete one called Dark Day Express at Filmark that is pretty amazing. It's uh, from the at least uh, Panna Ritikrai from Kickboxer King, the source movie in there. He worked on it, and the stunt work in that one is amazing. It's one of the biggest, most like skilled widescreen stunt work I've seen there. Uh, Thai cinema do. It's it, it's pretty much a crappy movie for eighty percent, and then that last big like oh my god finale happens. So the Doctor Express is a pickup by Filmark that I didn't cut, which is worth seeing just uh, because of uh, that. But again, Panna Ritikrai involved, and I think that's uh, that's a key. One scene that always turns up on YouTube uh, from Robo Vampire is the vampire. It's almost it's always on YouTube, like the hopping vampires of the apocalypse, someone named it. And it's the, vamp- uh, the beach ambush where they uh, trap Robo Warrior, which I'm sure is a, is that a memorable sequence at all? Oh, for yeah, you? of course. <laughs> want to talk a little bit a little bit about it yeah well he's uh i mean the thing that's most memorable memorable about it is uh how it finishes but yes no there's just a bunch of silliness with uh vampires and and uh and robocop and uh you know they're trying to get rid of him i guess because they know who he is and what he's up to which is not especially clear but culminates in uh the baddies firing uh, bazookas or something at him and blowing him up uh, and that's achieved by having him standing there and then cutting to the same shot where Robocop is replaced with a very obvious dummy and <laughs> uh, and blowing that up but uh, using just a few too many frames of the obvious dummy. Yeah, exactly because that's the way to do it obviously. It just looks like strips of aluminium or something like that that they've uh, put on a frame of some kind. You know, it looks so. He, he, he almost becomes like an 80% version of himself in that brief, brief cut where he blows up. You mm-hmm. know, uh, but but I'm sure they, they didn't have time in this case to to build a big puppet or what have you. So War, Robo Warrior is dead, obviously. Uh, of co- com- completely dead. 
super dead, like blown into 1,000 pieces, and then cut to him on the operating table, being pretty complete. You know, they maybe just lost a leg or an arm or how do you? Be fair, there was there was a five second scene between where one of the good guy military anti drug guys is like the the robot's very important. We have to save him at all costs, and so then cut to operating table. What is what is the dialogue? I laugh my butt off hearing it when they uh, make a determination what happened. Like I'm afraid he's short circuited. Yes, that's what it was. Him blew up entirely of him blew up. Nope, short circuit. I'm afraid he's short circuited. Not that serious. Amazing. I mean, uh, there's the quotable elements in this movie, obviously, not just uh, on screen, but dialogue as well. It's so bizarre that it's almost like they didn't know what scene came before it when they performed it and wrote it, so to say, on on set there. Like, yeah, we know he got hurt, maybe. I I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly the the problem. He's a genius engineer because he gets him, you know, he gets him going quickly you know just weld him up and he'll be as good as new so um <laughs> many other elements in the beach ambush is uh of course that the hopping vampires are they're doing uh, you know quite uh, elaborate acrobatics as well so filmok is not really concerned with like following the rules of the hopping vampire that they must move in this stiff way only and hop only no they're 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 doing tumbles and what have you and uh, that's uh that that makes it fun on screen obviously you know because uh, who really cares about following the rules exactly i mean if you can have a hopping vampire that does acrobatics towards you and you be a little bit more ferocious and dangerous then i'm all for that that's just good fun it's all delightful throughout as i said you know the so-called livingstone keeps it up and the editors keep this snappy even when introducing the uh, subplot of christine and her former lover you know because we get some exploitation side to this movie with uh, with nudity and uh, and this vampire, this ghost vampire couple, seemingly about to have a little bit of a vampire ghost bonkafon in front of us. They mostly rub hand palms though, and then we don't see too much, if my memory is correctly. That's about right. I think um... because Robo Warrior breaks up that party. Right. So, so like uh, he could have waited a few more minutes for for my benefit, but hey. I think I think she takes her top off later in the in the film. Yep, I think so. I saw I saw something. I remember something definitely ingrained in my memory. Uh, but it's not totally random this plot, as it turns out. Uh, I don't know if again it might not make sense, but we see a flashback to who that vampire with the gorilla mask was when he was a human being, and we've seen him before. He was one of the cops that appeared earlier in the movie, which surprised me because I thought like, hey, wait a minute, did wasn't he a vampire already at the top of the movie, already uh, one of the many vampires that were gather up, gathered up in that lair? Oh, who cares? Because oh, was that, was that who that was? Because I thought that was Robo Warrior remembering being himself uh, before he was a, a Robocop and his the life with his wife. Maybe so. I just thought, like, because he was so close to the uh, scenes with the ghost and the vampire uh, getting married and what have you, I just assumed wrongly possibly that it was their backstory you know again i could be wrong but i think it's robo warriors because that would that that would explain why the wife looks different uh, and it's not christine it's after christine says no we're like don't hurt us we're in love and uh robocop is like i i guess I i remember what love was like okay and then but then they fight anyway and there's the echo of the echo of the Paul Verhoeven movie, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. 
because they were they were aware of it obviously even not only the posters uh, a poster uh, whoever painted the poster you know Thomas Tang was a businessman and Robocop must have blown up to an enough extent that there was uh, that ripples were you know heading Asia's way as well and uh, into Hong Kong certainly fits the timeline obviously 1987 was Robocop and 1988 was when this supposedly came out it may, may have been a year later as well a little bit more on the time over did other than the stunt I think there's some slight fun during the breakout sequence because the concept of fighting a muscle man that they can't move or do anything with that's not the fun bit but when Sorapong Chatri and the female colleague or something fight him they she finishes him off by clawing either out his eyes or like cutting his eyeballs or something you don't see it on screen but you see blood like uh, from his eyes and what have you and uh, she drops him that way which uh, it was fun enough but then you get the typical Thai stuff where it's all they have the weaponry and they uh, have the costumes and the settings but the gunplay is always shoot one direction you know show the heroes shoot towards the bad guys in one direction cut to the bad guys shooting at the heroes and static shots and it seemed like no one really tried out a new style in Thai cinema maybe there wasn't any time to you know try and be a little bit more stylish because the gunplay to be very fair is flat and boring uh, it's just sounds da 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 the end you know, I mean, I, I mean, do, do, can, can you extract any fun out of their gunplay? No, I mean, it made no impression on me. I mean, even even you as a filmmaker, I think you can shoot more exciting st- stuff than the Thai the cast and crew could do. But again, I'm not talking down on them. It's just like I can't embrace it because it doesn't um, appeal to me as such. So, mm. uh, but but again, it it doesn't feature a whole lot. I mean, is 70% filmmark, 30% Thai footage? Is that fair? You think is that, uh, or do you think it's even more more filmmark than that? Yeah, I mean, somewhere in there, seventy-five. I think we're just and we're just splitting hairs at that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, I disagree. I think it's seventy-three point five. Mm-hmm. Well, you're forgetting about that scene. God damn it, you're right. You know, it's seventy-six after all. But, but again, I mean, to round this all off, it it keeps up. I mean, there's so much quotable stuff here. I mean, this would have been an awesome drive-in movie. I think if people were in the right frame of mind, rather than that's a gorilla mask. That looks stupid. Let's go. Hopefully, you know, today's audiences, uh, when they're watching it on the small screen, will appreciate it because it keeps it up even towards the end. I mean, we're not spoiling anything. It's not the usual suspects, this, because it's a long action finale here. And, I, and the negative thing about this action finale is that they repeat kind of the same concept all over again. The vampire surrounding Robo Warrior multiple times and him shooting the vampires. It is fun, but it's on repeat. But I'm sure you have a note or two on when Robo Warrior is chasing the vampire in the middle of the Hong Kong streets, and and we get a sub-sub-sub-sub-subplot about another pair of lovers. Yeah, I vaguely remember it. I didn't make it, it didn't make a strong impression on me. I just love the fact that there's this chase. Exactly. They, they, it's uh, on, on some recognizable Hong Kong locations. And cut to this uh, couple. We've never seen him in the movie. And uh, he, he's there like, oh, we're on a date now. I hope uh, hope we will have fun. Yeah. And uh, don't you love me anymore? And she pulls away her hand. She looks away. But then she closes her eyes, leans in for a kiss. And he kind of, yeah, I think this is on now. And while they're both, while she is having her eyes closed, he sees the vampire with the gorilla mask. I mean, it's not even like there's a makeup job anymore. It's just a gorilla mask. He sees that and passes out. 
which she for some reason does not notice. <laughs> she just <laughs> she's waiting for that kiss. Robo Warrior turns up. You see him in the in the frame with his big machine gun, pointing that towards the vampire in the gorilla mask, who just f- disappears. You know, he fades out, and that's that. Yep, yep. I'm glad you reminded me of it, but yes, I do remember. Not even like you're safe, citizen. <laughs> you know, not even like a speech to like the girl who should be shocked and like, oh my god, what happened to you? Why, why, why are you unconscious or what have you? Do, do you feel that as well with the finale that it kind of goes on repeat or are you, or were you into the entirety of this kind of epic robo-warrior robo versus multiple vampire battle that takes place? You know, I think it was it was just starting to overstay its welcome. It wasn't grating or anything like that. And uh, we even get one uh, little sequence of uh, a vampire like spitting up maggots, which is uh, sort of almost a Taiwanese genre cinema trait. You know, uh, movies like The Devil or Witch from Flying Head. There's always some poor actor or actress that have to, you know, have these live maggots or worms in her mouth and spit them up on camera and what have you. And uh, we, we get them, we get that here. So it's like, hey. A little bit of disgusting nature to Robo Vampire. I welcome it. We might have quoted all the stuff in the movie, and I guarantee you, we no one can really do justice, in my mind, the energy we get here, like visually and orally, because it's it's mad throughout, and uh, it's never a boring moment to me. Even during the Thai footage, it doesn't overstay its welcome. You know, even when it lasts for maybe maximum ten minutes at one point, maybe less. It's certainly not a trek for me to wait for the, you know, the Joe Livingstone directed stuff, so to say. Um, not at all. I think it's one of the most quotable and even, dare I say it, Ed, here's, here's where we might uh, drift apart, is one of the, like, perfect Philbock movies for me. I, I can see that. Um, I don't. It's one of the ones that you have to see if you're interested in film arc. And because the Hopping Vampires became such an important part of their product, it is kind of quintessential. I don't think I've seen more than maybe two of their Hopping Vampire movies. Maybe, maybe it's just this one. And I'm thinking like, because the vampire, yeah, I'm mostly thinking of the vampire is alive. Which uh, Robo Warrior features in, they shoehorn him in for the finale. Uh, it's not like Tom Wilde appears, I'm here to save you, citizen. Nope, it's just the main character for some reason turns into Robo Vampire. He, he, he does the ninja transformation almost, you know. Like he, he spins and then phew, Robo Warrior. Vampire is Alive is amazing because it's again Phil Mark's own footage for the, for the majority of it. It's a Thai movie underneath it, which has some memorable sequences too. But it's uh, it's a horror movie. The Vampire is Alive. He's riffing on uh, Terror on Elm Street and Terror on Elm Street and Nightmare on Elm Street. In Swedish, it's called a te- they use the word terror, so that, that's why I got it from a Nightmare on Elm Street. They're riffing on. So the, the, this Hopping Vampire is almost transformed into a mix of Freddy and uh, and a Hopping Vampire and chase around these girls in the Vampire is Alive. Real quick, speaking of Nightmare on Elm Street, there was uh, some of the Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack uh, score in the previous film. I think, I, think about. I heard that. Yeah, that uh, classic, uh, like mysterious, uh, mysterious like uh, theme. You know. Ding. Ding, 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 they're like those mm-hmm. chimes or this little... Yeah, I, I think I heard that. I think I heard it and wondered, like, is it really or are they, like, a, recreating it but not fully? No, it's it's totally, it's totally Never on Street. Well, it's uh, no news to anyone that uh, these movies uh, featured uh, unlicensed uh, usage of uh, uh, tunes and uh, score from other movies. So um, what are you going to do? They still end up on DVD and uh, stuff with, uh, with the, this intact. So you wonder sometimes... 
if uh, why because lawyers and uh, and the protector protector so to say of of uh, property it seems like they're always on and like scanning the world for even like DVD releases of these kind of movies and uh, but but hey they, they can't catch it all I suppose right I mean there's they're not going to watch every Chinese movie that was ever made. Yeah, exactly. I mean, an example like I talked about, the Master of the Flying Guillotine uh, became popular worldwide and certainly in America. After a while, a few DVD releases in the uh, one of the uh, groups that had their music in it or their representatives finally said, no, you know, pay us or replace it with something else. And ultimately it was replaced with something else, which is a shame because uh, in, in Master of the Flying Guillotine, the, the music there is not suited for the period but rather it's like rocking like metal industrial synth music for like the opening credits and it's amazing but unfortunately that had that had to be taken out at some point drop your weapons in 15 seconds 15 14 13 12 11 <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway as for availability i've uh, for robo vampire I've seen full-screen budget releases around, and uh, while I can't confirm the following, uh, BCI in the U.S. did a double-feature DVD with this and Devil's Dynamite, which is uh, another filmark robo-warrior. Possibly there's some, uh, there is some hoppy vampire in, in the, vampires in that one. I do remember a screen cap of them. And I, I can confirm that release because I own it. Is there a widescreen version of Robo Vampire on there? It is widescreen. It is clearly uh, snagged off of some other country's VHS because where there would normally be subtitles is a great big gray box that you can sometimes see subtitles peeking up over the top of. But I can't. Uh, I only see a few pixels worth and can't quite make out what language. Well, I, I can almost 99% say that it's because the only widescreen version otherwise that was put out officially was in Japan. They did a full widescreen version. And as per some Japanese releases, they raised the widescreen bar. That's the one then. Yes. To, to make the lower one bigger to make room for their subtitles because they didn't always put the subtitles on the image itself that's rather bad i mean couldn't they get like a fully black box over yeah there? I, i'm i was kind of confused by that but yes that is exactly the release that uh the bci used licensed or not i mean you can't get the japanese vhs version easily it turns up on ebay every now and again and um it's a good quality as these ifd and filmark movies on Japanese VHS in widescreen often were, uh, but uh, so, so it's good you can get it, you know, licensed or not for a good price. I think I saw it used the BCI edition for under ten US dollars. So they're not treating it like this holy grail and asking fifty or anything like that for it. You could ask it. You could ask it that if it was a really nice print. Sure, sure. And uh, I mean, I, I think that's what we're gonna have for a number of years. By no, by all means, it's a very good looking version. I mean. It, and brightness levels are pretty good. You can see uh, you can see what goes on in, in some of the darker scenes and what have you. Uh, so the Japanese VHS version in widescreen, I think, is going to be like the ultimate one for a number of years, unless someone starts digging out prints of these. And that'll be an endeavor, mm -hmm. you know, a financial endeavor, but uh, nonetheless an endeavor. So. Um, that's a, 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 it's funny on the cover. I don't know if you have the cover now or remember the cover, but the, the right hand side shows, you know, Devil's Dynamite. And the, there's a picture of it of a guy in glasses about to get bitten by a mm -hmm. vampire. It's not from Devil's Dynamite, it's from this uh, 
I can't remember it now, but it's from a, a Hong Kong movie, a hopping vampire Hong Kong movie that's possibly one of the Mr. Vampire movies or some of the copies because the actor is Billy Lau from the original Mr. Vampire about to get uh-huh. bitten. Possibly from Mr. Vampire 2. So I remember like, hey, couldn't you at least get something that's like neutral you know, rather than featuring an actor that doesn't, doesn't even appear? We Americans don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me being, being dorky, and uh, yeah, but, but, but I think it was a fun detail. Like, hey, he's not even in, he's not even in the source movie, Billy Lau. It's a Taiwanese gangster movie, the uh, source movie for Devil's Dynamite. Yeah, I was I, I was curious what that was from, or if that was some sort of independently shot photo. It's also known as Revenge of the Vampire, Devil's Dynamite. So they, these almost form a trilogy: Robo Vampire, the Vampires Alive, aka Counter Destroy. Destroyer and Revenge of the Vampire, aka Devil's Dynamite. So it's uh, different titles that I think Filmark, uh, it's all Filmark's titles. You know, they, they had their own AKAs, so to say. Uh, so that's that. I think we made you know clear that Robo Vampire is quite something. I hope so, anyway. It's not easy to do it all through our discussion and quotes from the movie, but I sincerely hope uh, the film mock style is something that is alluring for you, and it's certainly not the last time we'll be dipping our toes into the film mock style, because I highly enjoy it in certain movies, and they featured a lot of Taiwanese genre pieces as source movies, uh, movies that are not available in full, in an easy manner anyway, so it's one of the few chances you can get, you get to see like, at least 60-70% of the original kick-ass Taiwanese movies within these ninja cut-and-paste movies. And uh, I've got to tell you, sometimes, at least for the moment, it's enough because it gives you quite an idea of what the original is like. Because Filmark didn't restructure, you know, uh, some of the original Taiwanese genre pieces uh, after they just, as we discussed many times, they added some ninja here and there and uh, a scene or two where they are talking to the lead actress from the other movie and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is all good, so I'm sure we'll return to that. But next time, me and Ed will do a combo of the network show's commentary on fire and the Golden Ninja podcast. As we are going to have a um, party of uh, fun and info. You know, we're not going to drink while we do it. It's a, it's a party of fun and info. <laughs> Watching and commenting on Ninja Operation Night and Warrior, a.k.a. Black Ninja, a.k.a. Ninja Silent Assassin. And in your view, Ed, why is this a party movie and especially suited for a commentary? Well, I, I probably I probably sound like a broken record because I, I think I may have said this before. But uh, one, like uh, Robo Vampire, it's uh, the vast majority of the film is original IFD footage, um, but it's also a parade of IFD stars. And so you get Richard Harrison and you get Stuart Smith and you get just loads of uh, of the familiar faces and they all team up uh, to fight each other. And you get ninjas uh, in colorful outfits and it's just tons of fun. Um, it's one of those films where I wouldn't necessarily uh, recommend it as the first IFD film that you watch because the fun is in becoming familiar with these actors through their other films and then seeing a movie where they all come together. It's essentially the Avengers. Yeah, right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's Ninja Avengers, but not to be confused with the IFD movie Ninja Avengers. Nope. There, there, there's an Elsa Jung movie uh, in Taiwan called Ninja Avenger, 
as well, but it's not at IFD or field marking. It's originally originally called Impossible Woman, but they, huh. they retitled it to Ninja Avenger. That has created some confusion as well. But you're very right because the nature of a commentary is to have people to talk about, you know what I mean? And not, for me anyway, and not rely just on the on-screen action because um, it can be difficult to fill. And I'm not, and you, you are, you're a veteran of the format as well. I, I'm not one where I like to go, oh, cool, look at that, oh, cool, look at that. The less screen-specific stuff you do, the better, in my mind. It's a, I, I almost try and make it a conversation while the movie's playing, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, if you, know, if, if, if you or I were involved in the making of the film, that would be different because we could talk about what was going on during a specific moment on screen. Uh, we weren't on the crew, so... Well, maybe we were, maybe we were, God forbid, not. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Or Homer Kwong, or whoever, <laughs> all those wonderful names. Edgar uh, Chow, yeah. or who knows. Ex- exactly. Uh, but you're, you're, you're very right, and that, that's why it's a good selection to do. Um, like, I mean, it, it's a favorite of mine based on all of the things you've said, and it's suitable to do it for a commentary and uh, get, gets as much bio info in there as we can because there are, uh, there is biographical info on there, uh, out there on the various performers, Richard Harrison, Stuart Smith. And Stuart Smith is on in that movie. Like It's not like he phoned it in. No, Stuart Smith made sure that the almost full IFD movie is a memorable Stuart Smith movie as well. And uh, he plays the bad guy, of course. So thankfully, he played the bad guy, you know, because uh, that, that made him have, you know, a lot of fun. And uh, I'm sure there's tons of profane dialogue in there and just bizarre, bizarre performances and uh, performing of lines and what have you. Know, shit, that cunt Richard, he's here. Like, oh my god, there's doing the swearing here again. <laughs> and uh, we got the black ninja in there, Alphonse Benny as well, which I think is a bit of a character. I've heard that he kind of invested money in these movies and made himself the star, therefore, oh. uh, which is uh, pretty interesting. I've, I've known him from free movies. This. And I have a movie called Top Mission, and he did a movie with one of the Bruce copies. Uh, I have a Bruce Lyre, Bruce Lur, called The Cameroon Connection, because I think Alphonse Benny is from Cameroon originally. Hmm. Might be totally wrong, that's why the research will come in, but I still remember that he wasn't just this guy they picked up, he kind of walked in and uh, right. provided, uh, provided some uh, cash for either the IFD production or maybe the Cameroon Connection, as I said. Cool. So there you go. Uh, but in the meantime, we are done for this episode. This has been the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcast on, podcastonfire.com. And you have this show, all the other shows and bonus episodes on there. If you want to reach us by email, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. If you want to like us and reach us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash PUF Network. And we have a discussion group as well that you can find by clicking the link on that page or typing in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar. And follow us on Twitter. Find us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. Check out my writing, sogoodreviews.com, and my video reviewing that appears at the same time as when reviews go up, as lizykvideo.com. And I tweet at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. We are on iTunes as well. If you want to have your podcast delivered to you as soon as it comes out, subscribe and rate us and even leave a small written comment. If you have the time, that would very much be appreciated finally stream us on stitcher if you don't like filling up your devices with tons of podcasts you can stream us quite conveniently and quite effectively on stitcher's application available to your iphone and your ipad plus some other smartphone possibly the android and uh, they have an online presence as well and as i said golden ninja warrior chronicles the blog that Hazel price molina runs we'll link to that as always 
So check that out. And finally, on your end, Ed, what's your home away from home? You can find uh, me and uh, my films and web series at neonharbor.com. And that includes uh, the show Deja Vu, which I talked about before, and Ninja the Mission Force, which parodies the ninja cut-and-paste films of IFD and Filmark. Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor and on Facebook at facebook.com slash neon harbor. Excellent, excellent. So, Richard, what say you? Who is the champion of the ninjas? Is it an IFD ninja or a Filmark ninja? I am the champion of the ninjas. 